Apart from managing the land, First Nations people have managed waterways, including the Darling Barker River, for tens of thousands of years. Barker, the Forgotten River, is a new Indigenous art exhibition currently on show at the Australian Museum in Sydney. Depicting the cultural connection between Aboriginal communities and the Darling River, the exhibition aims to highlight the need to protect the waterway from ongoing environmental impacts and a perceived mismanagement from authorities. Featuring the artwork of Uncle Badger Bates, it's curated by Courtney Marsh of the Australian Museum and she joins me now. Courtney, welcome to Speaking Out. Thank you for having me. Courtney, we might just start by asking before we get into the exhibition and its themes and what audiences can expect by asking you where your country is and what shaped your worldview growing up. So, Jingiwawalu, my name is Courtney Marsh and I'm a Minyambul Nivanawatu woman. So, my people are from Fingal Head up in northern New South Wales. And I'm also, uh, my great grandfather was from Tanas, I'm also South Sea Islander. And at the minute, I'm the First Nations curator here at the Australian Museum. What shaped my worldview, I guess, and, and specifically probably in the context of the museum, is that I, I trained as an archaeologist, actually, and my focus was often in classics and, and understanding sciences from that perspective. And as I came over to, you know, working in the museum and, and more specifically kind of working with culture, a big part of what's been changing with my worldviews or how I've been able to use both of these is to put First Nations worldviews alongside with Western worldviews. And that's a huge component of kind of what we're doing here, especially in our curatorial team around First Nations at the minute. So how are we going to elevate and align both of these so that we can lead to a better you know, shared future? And that really culminated in what you see at in the um, Bark of the Forgotten River exhibition. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the way that your work is changing the curatorial space, the museum space. But I guess I was just wondering, the galleries, libraries and museum sector wasn't very welcoming for First Nations people for a really long time and there were a lot of issues around how they responded to First Nations people and, and culture. What drew you to want to work in that sector? I guess I know I'd, I've always been interested in history. It's always a passion of mine. And, you know, I did enjoy studying archaeology. But once I got out there and got into the field, like what I worked out is that I actually really wanted to be in spaces with objects, able to interpret and able to, you know, action them in ways that can you know, lead to better outcomes for the objects, but also for the mob whose objects they are. So that's what really drew me. And, you know, the Australian Museum is, you know, Australia's oldest museum and has a lot of sway and has a lot of history being influential in the way that, you know, our policy and the way that we're viewed and studied and examined and responded to, it has a huge impact on that. So I think that's you know one of the, the main reasons I wanted to be here. And as well, we just have such a, a large, incredible collection and having that alongside our Science Institute it gives what we do here in culture a completely different slant and a different kind of authority, which is a really interesting space and a really powerful space to be a part of. 
It does feel like it's a very exciting space at the moment. You see a lot of work being done like what you're doing and what you're describing, where there's sort of a reclaiming of what the museum has and a retelling of those stories, a sort of assertion of sovereignty, and at the same time you're decolonising that space. So tell us a little bit then about Barker, the Forgotten River, which is currently on display at the Australian Museum. What does Barker mean and what is its significance in relation to the exhibition? So Barker is what a lot of people now know as the Darling River, but what has always been the Barker River. And it is what gives the name of the Barkindji people. That's, sorry, where they, they take their name from, is from the river. And it is really, you know, the life source of that area, of their people, of that culture and, and that whole region. And so the Barker exhibition is really drawing attention to this river and this being as its own entity and its own place there. So can you describe what somebody will see when they come into the exhibition? What are some of the themes and stories that you've explored in the exhibition? The exhibition's actually been on display several times before. This is actually the eighth time it's been displayed. And because of the context of having it in the Australian Museum, we did a lot of work around storytelling in the space and actually, you know, orienting a, a Sydney audience and also, you know, a, an international audience that aren't isn't so familiar with the river. A lot of work went into orienting people and introducing the river. So the story that you go on is through three main sections. The first is law keepers. And this is really highlighting what happens when law is kept? What happens when we're able to look after our river with all of those cultural instructions that we have? And what the result of that is a beautiful, healthy river in which everybody, every being, everything thrives on it. Then we have our opposing side, which is agriculture with the culture crossed out. And that was meant to be a really strong indication of you know, what happens when you remove culture from your interactions with country, when you remove it from land management and do practices that exclude all of those other layers of understanding and all of those other elements that deserve equal place in how you manage your own behaviours and your own wishes and goals as well. And then running through the centre of, center of that is in our veins. And that, again, just uh, is really meant to highlight um, the role of the Barker in this, it is literally the lifeblood of Barkindji people and of the region. Without that, or if that lifeblood is sick, you know, everybody along the river is sick. And that was another huge point of the space. And, and you know, you can see something like agriculture with a culture crossed out as something quite aggressive. But what is really the, the goal of the space is to highlight that the river is sick and everybody is going to be impacted by this. And we need to really think about the way that we're treating the river. Another section, uh, which is a part of In Our Veins, but it's sectioned off to the side, and that is uh, our Culpa Culpa space. And this is a series of eight tin portraits. This was done by the artist Justine Muller, who's the second artist in this show. Um, she did eight portraits on found mission tin of um, different Wilcannia residents. And there's also an audio recording accompanying each of those that speak about the community's memories of a clean river, their hopes that, that um, the river will come back, the, the distress that they feel that potentially, you know, their culture is suffering because they don't have this river. And it's a really important room where people can just listen to community talk about, you know, their, their mother, their nyamaka. 
The exhibition, obviously, it sounds so powerful with those really strong thematics. And just listening to you describe some of uh, what the installations are doing and saying, it strikes me that one of the challenges in putting together something in this space is that you really have two audiences. You'll have non-Indigenous people coming in who'll be learning these concepts and this worldview for the first time. But I think there's a growing number of First Nations people that are extremely interested in coming to these kind of exhibitions because it teaches us about our own culture. So I was just wondering from your point of view, how do you balance those two audiences and what are you hoping both will take away from this exhibition? For my non-First Nations audiences that are coming in, it's actually a great case study because, you know, often at the museum, we're the Australian Museum, we have to talk about a lot of different culture and a lot of, you know, really broad kind of topics and way that we apply law. This is actually quite unique in that we have really specific, this is a Barkindji exhibition, this is about a single river and obviously all of those interconnections, but it's a really great like case study for non-First Nations people to come in and see how law guides our environmental care and our social care and all of those other elements. So I think it's a really quite accessible exhibition and you know one of the most powerful things for our non-First Nations audiences is seeing how you know, how important our cultural law is for environmental care and how that actually impacts themselves as well. You know, we've got a massive map in there of the Murray-Darling Basin and how huge that is. It's our most important water reservoir. It's, It's an incredibly important thing. And it's important to show that, you know, us not being able to practice our culture is not just an issue for First Nations people. Us not being able to put our environmental laws in place is a huge issue for the entire nation. You know, it's not a Barker problem. It's not a Barkindji. It's not even a remote New South Wales problem. This is really a country problem. So that's what I want people to feel in it. And as, you know, we've got this, uh, you know, in our veins, this cultural centre that runs through the space. At the end of that is actually a protest in Wilcannia of people protesting the treatment of the river. And that's, you know, one of the things I wanted those audiences to to learn is that culture is not just for First Nations peoples, there's ways that you can practice culture and that is standing with First Nations peoples and that is standing for the health of the river as well. So attending protests is practicing culture and is giving, you know, um, allyship and help to First Nations people so that they can hold law as well. And that's what I really wanted those audiences to get out of it. Not for, for my First Nations peoples, but specifically uh, my Barkindji community. I just wanted them to really feel proud and I wanted them to really feel heard in the space. And so, you know, we have those really beautiful audio um, recordings that go with those tin portraits, but we also took um, specific quotes out of those so that uh, and enlarged them in there throughout the exhibition. And then, you know, that's part of the exhibition design that even if you only read, you know, three labels, you know, you're likely to have heard an Aboriginal voice, a Barkindji voice specifically, and likely to have heard them talk about their country, their river, their connection. So just so that they're heard and that they know that we recognise their importance, we recognise their custodianship, we recognise all of their knowledges that they have. And, you know, and we also recognise that they're also in kind of a period of mourning and distress and help, and we're seeing them in that as well. It also strikes me just listening to you talk about those thematics that it's also a really powerful way of showing how First Nations knowledges are actually going to be integral in solving or addressing some of the critical 
problems that we're facing in the future, like climate change? Oh, 100%. One of the most interesting things we have, I shouldn't say that, I I feel like the whole thing is incredibly interesting, but Uncle Badger has often talked about lungfish teeth and fish being in his waters. Sorry, not lungfish teeth, but the lungfish actually being in his waters, not in living memory. And he'd always been told, you know, by those that had kind of studied and and known and, and had all of that other Western science authority that they don't exist there and haven't and, you know, it's a Queensland thing and, and that. But what we actually found in the Australian Museum's archaeological collection, which sits in our First Nations collection as well, was, was lungfish teeth from his country. So we have the proof that uncle knows his, he knows his lore, he knows his culture and that uh, really deep ancestral knowledge that he's been passed down, even though he's been told it's incorrect, we actually have the evidence as well that it's not. And that's what's so important about a space like the Australian Museum in telling these stories is that we definitely give a layer of authority that doesn't occur in other spaces. So, you know, it's been shown in art galleries where, you know, we've been able to just show those pieces, but having it at the museum and including some of our, you know, what has been previously classified as scientific only objects in there supporting Uncle Badger's deep tested knowledges is really important and really strong. Yes, I was going to ask you about that because it seems to me that when you put an exhibition like this on in the Australian Museum, as you say, it means something about how the exhibition and the pieces in it and the knowledge in it is being positioned. But it feels to me like it's also changing and pushing and challenging an institution like the Australian Museum, which, as you mentioned, is the oldest museum in Australia. And I just wonder what your reflections are on that. How is the presence of First Nations storytellers, curators, changing the way that museums are thinking about themselves and their collection? I think we're like we're at a really exciting time where there is a lot of that reflection going on and not even not even just reflection around, you know, those understandings of how damaging they've been or the places where they've faltered, but we're at a really interesting point where we can start thinking about how we communicate things in a way that aligns better with our worldviews. So specifically for this exhibition, it, it happens a lot in different ways that it's happening, but as you go through each theme, the person that talks to you first is the river. So it's the river going, I am the Nyamaka. I am sick. What's going on? Why are you treating me this way? And that's a really big shift to give this personhood to a natural feature. And it's a way that we've, we try to, one, talk about it in the way that Bakunji people talk about their river as a mother, as a person, as a family member, and as a community member that is entitled to justice for its mistreatment. And that's a really interesting way and something that helps, I think, for non-First Nations audiences or people not kind of familiar with how our kinship works and how our relationships work. It's a nice way to kind of start getting people thinking about the river as a person or as a being as equal to us. It's some of those languages that is a really exciting that the museum is willing to kind of do these things that don't form traditional or academic English conventions because it's really useful for trying to frame things for um, audiences that aren't familiar with our worldviews. Really subtle things that can help give that impression, give that understanding rather. I have to say it's been wonderful having a chat with you and your 
passion and enthusiasm for the subject matter really does uh, remind us that uh, museums can actually be very interesting, exciting places, not just full of stuffy old things. So uh, thank you so much for being with us and having a chat about this really important exhibition, but also reminding us of what the changing role of the collecting institutions is and how important it is to have First Nations perspectives like yours and Uncle Badger's a part of that conversation. No, thank you so much for having me. And at the end of the day, I hope that these kind of things get people into the exhibition and, and again, just caring about the Barker, meeting the Barker and hopefully fighting for the Barker. That's curator First Nations at the Australian Museum, Courtney Marsh. The Barker exhibition is on until the 23rd of July. And after hearing that, I'm sure you won't want to miss it. You're listening to Speaking Out. It just comes down to showing, sharing, you know, respecting. The world from an Indigenous perspective on ABC Radio. As you've just heard, the Darling River is of tremendous cultural significance to the Barkindji people of Western New South Wales. But for more than three decades now, the Barkindji have watched the once healthy river system deteriorate as water flows from upstream have dwindled. Barkindji elder Uncle Badger Bates has been advocating for the prosperity of the waterway for a number of years. We the Barkindji people call the Barker, ourselves Barker Wimbiches. That means we are come from the Darling River and just on that we treat the Barker as our mother. Like without the Barker we are nothing and it must stay healthy. And every tributary river that flows into it must stay healthy because they are the river veins of our mother, the Barker. Those veins must keep healthy and make other rivers stay healthy along with them. So that's just a rough thing how we feel. And also it's hard to try and keep the river healthy because of the irrigation and all that. And Uncle, can you maybe just describe, you talk about how this river is, is, is your, like your mother. When you were younger, what kind of a relationship did you have with it? We, with the river, it is, back then, it was like a supermarket to us back in the days when I was growing up, because a lot of us, like me, I was, I had fair skin and I was a target for stolen generation, but I was read on the river and said, don't go into town, stay on this side. And this was our supermarket. We went there, we got everything, and it really looked after us. I travelled up and down the river with my grandmother, dodging the welfare and that, and and going meeting other people in different tribes, you know, and all that. And they was good, they welcomed us there. But to see the state of the river now, it's just it can't do anything anymore, even the little water spiders and other little things and there they they vanish and the river mussel is a big healthy big mussel and it's really thick but that's dying and the skin is the shell of the mussel is getting real brittle and nobody is doing any studies on it and in towns like Menindi now there are little kids down there where the fish are dying and these kids they they got a shower in the water and they're breaking out in sores and everything but there's no concern for those kids, you know. You'll get someone from a government come out, then the next lot will come out, then the next lot will come out, 
and they all saying, yes, we're going to do this. But when we asked them the question, are you going to make the barker flow, they'd look into it, you know. We just call them mirror people. You know, they're not going to give you an answer, but they would look into it. And it's just like looking into the mirror. It's just stupid how they're going on. In all of that, Uncle, you've been a great advocate for the Barkindji people and Aboriginal people. Generally, how do you stay strong? It's just that when I see the young kids, sorry, I'm just about ready to cry, but when I see the young kids and walk up and say, how are you going and thank you, that makes me strong, okay? And I'm sorry for breaking up about that, but it's the kids and the old people and... They just make me strong with us, so I've got to keep on doing it. That's Barkindji traditional owner and artist, Uncle Badger Bates. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.